Hello and welcome to Cauldron Cakes and Wine, a nerdy book club podcast. My name is Polly and we are a part of the Cauldron Cakes and Wine Network. Welcome back guys. This week we are going to be talking about Catching Fire, the book and the movie, which is the second part in the Hunger Games series. Just a reminder that this podcast is marked explicit. We swear sometimes and sometimes talk about sensitive subject matters. Be sure to check the show notes for any content warnings. They're going to be a little bit heavy for this one because this book and movie are a little bit heavier than the other stuff we've normally talked about in the past. Also, just a reminder that there are spoilers ahead. I will be talking about Catching Fire as well as the other two Hunger Games books and movies. And just before we get started, I just want to have a reminder for you guys to go and check us out on social media. We have TikTok, Instagram, Tumblr, and Twitter, and we are either CC and Wine or Cauldron Cakes and Wine. So go and check us out. All right, I'm just going to start off with a little bit of housekeeping. I got a new mic. It's so exciting. Um, So hopefully the audio will be a little bit better than it's been in the past. And when we start recording again as a group, this mic's going to be a lot better because it has different settings and it allows us to record people sitting in different spots from the same mic. So that's so exciting and I'm really excited and happy about it. Um... By the time that this goes up, some of you may have already realized that this change has happened. Maybe not. I'm going to start trying to upload episodes twice a month instead of once a month, so it should be every other week that an episode will come out. And if it becomes too much, then we're going to just drop back to once a month, but I've been pre-recording these in advance, so I've been able to have some stuff ready for the future, and yeah, so it's pretty exciting. Hello from the future. (laughs) Um, We're still in lockdown, so we're not doing group recordings, but G and I have talked about recording soon, and I've actually started to read some of the Harry Potter books, so hopefully we will get to do that soon. Fingers crossed. I don't really know if people care that much about my personal life, but um, I just figured I should talk about this. Um, Fuck. Just so that it's not like a big shock when it comes up later on in the podcast, because I know over this book and the second one, it it kind of started to come up for me as I was reading it. But uh, one of my friends passed away. He took his own life. And there's just certain aspects of these books that I'm not going to be able to go into too much detail with because of that. Um, Anything to do with death and grief is going to be a bit too much for me. I promise I will try my best to talk about some of that stuff, but it's been a pretty bad week, so yeah. Probably won't go too much into detail on any of that stuff, but that's okay. Moving on, let's get started. So we're going to jump into the first book, and we are starting off with part one, The Spark. This book picks up where we left off. Katniss is back in District uh She's in District 12, (laughs) and she's now living in the Victor's Village. Things are different with her and Gail. Um, He won't take any money from her, and he is now working in the mines. Katniss mentions that she stocks up on alcohol because Hamish ran out once, and he was shaking from withdrawal symptoms, and that it was really scary. And this is some real shit here. Like, this happens. I think that A lot of people don't realize that this does happen to people who have an addiction to alcohol. Um, This is realistic. It's real life. Okay. 
Katniss goes home and finds that President Snow is in her house, and Snow tells Katniss that the districts are getting restless and that there may be an uprising, specifically because of what her and Peta did. Snow tells her that the entire system might collapse if the capital is not in charge, and then Katniss says, it must be very fragile if a handful of berries can take it down. This feels so relatable, um, specifically thinking about how during COVID, the entire system of capitalism has sort of been like crumbling based off of us not being able to like stimulate the economy and be at work and stuff. It's like our society should be able to handle different things that it's thrown at it. I'm not going to rant about capitalism forever, I promise. (laughs) Katniss watches her sister, who is standing on her toes as if she might take off and fly away. And this little thing triggers Katniss to think of Rue. I think that this was a really well done trigger in the sense of like what um, a trigger actually is. I know that some people have, we've kind of lost the, we've kind of lost what it means to say what a trigger is. That's an actual mental health term that people have made it into sort of a joke. It's not a joke. It is very serious and it um, it's something that people who have like post-traumatic stress deal with. Um, And it is very real. And I feel that this was a really, really good example of what that can be like. That's kind of close to how it works in real life. You see this small thing, something that might not mean anything to anybody else. And all of a sudden you are wrapped up in the thoughts and feelings of a different time. You're like transported back there and you feel the same like shock and feelings that you felt then. Peta has started to paint and he paints the things that were in the games and Katniss talks to Peta about how they both have nightmares of things that happen in the games and I just really love Peta and Katniss's character arc where they are right now where they're going everything to do with it I love it I love seeing them interact and I love them talking about the things that they have been through Peta and Katniss have to go to all the different districts and say speeches, and they start off in Rue's district first. Peta gives Rue's family money for the rest of their lives, and Katniss goes off script as well and says something really beautiful about Rue and Thresh. They all do the three-fingered sign, and then the peacekeepers come in and they kill a man who starts it. Everything in this book is pretty on point. How often are unarmed protesters attacked, particularly people of color? It's kind of eerie how real this book feels with all of the events that have unfolded in the past years. Um, I suppose it's because it's just history repeating itself, so yeah. (laughs) Katniss and Peta have nightmares, so as they're traveling through the districts, they sleep in each other's beds on the train. Once again, just these like beautiful moments where they are like trauma bonded together through what they've been through. But it's also just really beautiful to watch how they support each other and the ways in which they ground each other. And it makes me feel even more angry about this stupid love triangle that is in this book. Like I said before, I don't get it. And I think that it actually weakens the story. 
I think there was enough between Katniss and Gale if they were just friends to have a solid arc for their characters together and for Peeta and Katniss to have their own. It's just stupid. <laughs> um, so we get introduced to what the Mockingjay is, and it's an animal that was mutated from an animal that the capital had created to use in war, and it's said that it's a creature the capital never intended to exist to thrive in a new form. They didn't anticipate their will to live. And fuck, this is such a good metaphor. I mean, it's the main symbol of the entire book, so it better be, I guess. But I feel like it's rather effective and it get it just it continues to get strengthened the more and more we hear about it. The more things that get coded into it, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. The the history with her friend Madge, the connection to her father, and then Rue, the background story with the capital. Many parts of these books are so beautifully woven into this one symbol and just continue to throughout the entire series. It's really, really good writing. Katniss asks Gale to run away with her, and for a while he entertains it, but then he finds out that there are uprisings in the districts and says that they need to stay and fight. This is what I'm talking about. This is such good character stuff. They legit have enough here without these two characters needing to make it romantic. I'm sorry. This is just, this is my hill to die on. <laughs> this is going to be something that I point out again. It's just I'm, this is my hill to die on. That's it. That's the best way to describe it. I fucking hate that they made these two people romantic. So things are getting worse in the districts and then we finish off this section of the book and we go into part two, which is the quell. Katniss meets two people in the woods who have escaped from district eight. They explain that there are uprisings that have started. They say they're going um, to try and find district 13. When they explain why they are trying to find District 13, um, it's because they think it could still be there, and that is because of this footage of the rubble at District 13, and they say that the one that they use is used over and over again, and it's, there's a Mockingjay that flies through the footage. Once again, another symbol of the Mockingjay, and this is a symbol of hope because people are literally watching this footage and seeing the Mockingjay, and it makes them think that District 13 is still there, and it gives them this hope. See, this is what I'm talking about, just continuously feeding things into this metaphor. So good. So good. Katniss brings up a good point. She says, she kind of thinks if District 13 exists and they had nuclear weapons, why did they leave the rest of the districts to live like this? This gives us an early look into how we shouldn't fully trust District 13 before, we're even, before we even get there, before we're even at all really even know anything about them, we know that we should be weary of them. We find out about the quarter quell and that all of the tributes will be going back into the arena. It's described as the tributes being the embodiment of hope because, because they're not starving, they get money, they survived, they are the survivors, and now they are going to kill it and shatter the embodiment of hope. 
this ties really nicely into the first movie, how President Snow was talking about hope in that movie. It wasn't really in the book, but it was definitely from the movie. So I felt like it, it was a nice parallel that they probably got from the book and started to put it into that first movie. Um, so I liked that. They go through the opening ceremonies and the training. They do their interviews and Katniss wears a wedding dress. She spins around and it burns away and leaves feather her feathered dress underneath. And it's like she has become the Mockingjay. And this is where it gets a little heavy handed for me. I felt like this was a little too much for me. It's too, too far, too far. <laughs> In Peta's interview, he tells everyone that Katniss and him are married and that she's pregnant. Then all the victors hold hands, stand together, and the audience is in chaos. Yeah, I mean, this was a this was a good moment. It, I, I think that this whole part of it was a little bit corny and a, like a little bit heavy handed, but um, it's it's not terrible. We've seen worse, <laughs> not in this book, but I mean, just in general, we've we've seen a lot worse. So. The peacekeepers come in right before Katniss is about to go into the games and they kill Cinna. And this is so sad. I hated it. It makes me so sad. But that is the end of part two. And we're going into part three called The Enemy. And I think it's called this because um, Hamish tells Katniss to remember who the enemy is when she's in the games. So that's the sort of tie-in. And then later towards the end, Finnick says again to Katniss, remember who the enemy is. So they're back in the arena and have teamed up with some other people. Hamish sort of makes this decision for Katniss and Peeta because Katniss doesn't really want anyone. She just wants it to be her and Peeta because she would rather work alone because um, that's who she is. And that's fine. Um, honestly, I don't have a ton to say. This book feels like a little bit of filler. I know that's I know that's not nice to say, but... Between, you know, it's just kind of put in between two more substantial books. It's necessary, but it's not filled with as much stuff to talk about. Um, I thought about finding another literary analysis tool to talk about, kind of like how I did the heroine's journey in the last one, but then I just didn't. I'm sorry. I, I know that's a bit lazy, but I've had a lot going on, so... We're just going to roll with it. Um, in the first book, Peta loses part of his leg. And in the second book, we know that he got a prosthetic leg. And I feel as though this was a huge missed opportunity. Um, there are really rare moments where it impacts him. And... The capital just kind of gives him a new leg that works kind of perfectly. And I feel as though this was like seriously a missed opportunity to show a character with a physical disability. Um, I love in How to Train Your Dragon. I mean, I just love that series to begin with, but Hiccup has a fake leg and we see him struggle sometimes, but we see that he is clever and he's smart and he, um, you know... I just, I think that there's a way that you can show these kinds of things um, and show people still impacted by it, but also being strong and capable. I think that another really good example of this in media is in 
um, Dragon Prince. The one character is visually impaired and, um, or she, no, I think she has a hearing impairment. That's it. She has a hearing impairment. Um, so, but she's also like, she's a warrior and, um, you know, you see ways that it does impact her. She has somebody who does sign language for her, but she's also a warrior and is really strong and capable and has a really solid character. So, you know, there's a way to portray these things in media without it needing to define them, but by also showing that they do sometimes struggle or have to do things in a different way. And I just think that PETA getting this like magical perfect leg was kind of bullshit. You know, like I just wish that there had been times where like he had to modify what he was doing in order to accommodate this, you know, prosthetic. (laughs) Maybe I'm reading too much into this. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just feels like this was a little bit random, like it was a random add-on and then it was forgotten and it just easily could have not been there. Um, It's kind of like the author didn't want to go into detail and have to write the nuance of him having this prosthetic. Um, So that's kind of frustrating. Anyways, so they end up using the lighting in the arena in this really clever way to take down the dome and they escape. Katniss is really upset because she wasn't involved or told about this plan. She says at least she was when she was in she says at least when she was in the arena she knew she was being used. And this is some heavy foreshadowing for her um coming feelings about the revolution and about how and about how the rebellion uses her. So Peter was captured by the Capitol and we leave off on Katniss finding out that there is no more District 12. It was burned to the ground. So I feel like I didn't have a lot of notes for the second half of this book and I apologize. Um, I could have dug harder, but some of it was sad and it brought up things that I just didn't want to talk about right now. Um, I also feel that this book was a little bit of padding. I think it was a little bit filler and (laughs) I think it's kind of an exciting book for your first time reading it. And when you know what the big twist at the end is, um, because like when you read it the first time, you don't know that these people are all in on some scheme to get them out of the arena and that they're going to District 13 and that blah, 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 blah. You don't know any of that. You're just watching the games and you're like stressed and wondering how this is all going to play out. But when you know how it plays out, it kind of makes everything less urgent and there's no edge to it. You're just like, okay, they're going to all escape. Why is Katniss so worried about this random crap? Because they're just going to escape. That's it. Um, okay, moving into the movie. The movie opens with Katniss and Gail hunting and Katniss shoots a deer and has a flashback and starts to freak out. And I thought this was a really good depiction of flashbacks. Uh, normally I hate everything about depictions of trauma in media because it never feels anything like that. But this feels like kind of similar to 
someone actually having a traumatic experience. Like at least somebody who had a traumatic experience probably wrote this. Like, like you can tell. <laughs> it's, it's not perfect, but it is a lot better than most of the times. The Gale and Katniss romance feels more believable in the movie. And I think that that just has to do with the two actors having um, like chemistry together. That's it. It makes it more believable. Also, Liam Hemsworth is a total babe, so that helps. <laughs> I am obsessed with the actress who plays Effie, um, like Effie Trinket. I, I can't, I don't know her name. I'm so sorry, but she is perfect. She is everything that that character is supposed to be. So fucking good. A plus casting. This movie has incredible casting. Everybody they cast was perfect for the roles that they picked. In the movie, Rue and Thresh's district is um, predominantly people of color. The movie is doing this on purpose because, because in this district, we see them peacefully protesting, putting up their three fingers, and then the peacekeepers come and attack them. And this is clearly a commentary on real life, things that were happening and still are happening. And I mean, this whole book is, but not in the way that this is. This is a direct correlation to things that were happening in the news and still are. And I think to everybody out there who is, like myself, a white person, if you watch this movie and feel for the people in these scenes, in these movies, where they're peacefully protesting and getting attacked, um, but you can't understand the unrest and upset surrounding the killing of unarmed Black people, then you have a lot of internal work to do. You have some listening to do. It shouldn't take a movie with a white main character to tell you to feel empathy or tell you that things are wrong. Also, if you can't even see that things are wrong in real life, but you can see that they are wrong in a piece of fictional media, you'd have a lot of work to do. Sorry for the lecture. <laughs> okay. The movie does a better job of showing and building tension. Katniss sees a lot less in the books. There's more things that we are seeing that are happening around the games. I love Effie Trinket's outfits. Like, not in the way that I would actually want to wear them, but that they are everything that they should be for this movie. She's wearing this, like, big blue space bun wig with a lilac giant feather collar <laughs> around her head. The way I'm describing it makes it sound like it's, um, like, a headdress, but that's not it at all. I That's not how I would describe it. It almost looks like the petals of a flower are around her head. It is so cool. <laughs> they go to a ball in the Capitol and Katniss is wearing a dress that has these understated shoulder pads. They're not big like the 80s. They're just resting on her shoulders and they're red around the edges like fire, but black in the middle with feathers and her earrings are this really beautiful red jewel and she has matching eyeshadow and she has um 
And she has braids around the crown of her head and going down into this like half pony. It's so cool looking. I love it. This is, you know, in like the first movie where I was saying that I didn't like the dress that she was wearing, the fire dress. Um, I feel like they got better, you know, they got better with the fire imagery into her clothing. This is much better. And I like, I like it more. President Snow is wearing this like really beautiful maroon suit with a white uh, rose pinned onto it. Oh my God. I fucking love maroon suits. I love them. They are everything to me. (laughs) Effie's ring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm talking about clothing a lot, but like I love clothing in movies. I fucking love it. I notice that all the time and whatever. It's just the way it is. Whenever we talk about movies, it's just going to happen. So Effie's reaping outfit is absolutely amazing and ridiculous. It's one of my favorite looks in the entire franchise, I think. Um, So basically what it is, is uh, it's this dress and it's covered in butterflies and it's the shape of like a bell on the bottom. The butterflies go all the way up her neck, like all the way to her chin. And then um, her hair comes up and she's got these um, butterflies pinned into the curls. And she's got some butterflies painted onto her face around her eyes. And she's got this very, um, very delicate yellow blush, which I know that sounds insane, but like it, it really works well and she pulls it off and I think that this is one of her best looks it's almost editorial like it seems kind of high fashion almost in this very editorial way and I wish that I had the drive to build that dress and the butterfly wig hair thing like I wish I could I just know I would I would stop halfway through and it would sit in my closet forever. (laughs) Peta and Katniss's opening games outfit has all of this like fire kind of glow on them. And I think the CGI was done really, really well. You can tell the budget went up for this movie. They did a much better job with the fire effects in this movie than they did in the last one. And I really think it was the best that it could have been. I think the movies give a better feel for like the televised or filmed aspect of this like whole thing because you can actually see that cameras are there and it gives you a better understanding of that everything they're doing particularly in the arena is televised and that's being watched because you miss that sometimes in the books like they mention there are cameras they mention it being televised but the you don't get like a physical understanding of it the way you do when you are seeing it happening. And that's just something that can't really happen in the books. It's not really the book's fault. It just, it can't happen. And that's something that is a visual thing that the movies can do better. It must have been really, really fun to be in a movie like this. Like Jennifer Lawrence probably got to do some fucking fun archery classes and shit. Like, oh my God. I literally, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this looks like so much fun. (laughs) Okay. As much as I've talked about loving some of the outfits uh, in this, I hate the dress they put Katniss in that was supposed to be her wedding dress. 
It looked like a fucking Christmas decoration. It was so bad. (sighs) The flame CGI was like kind of okay, but the black dress under it was ugly. Oh my God. The wings were like kind of pretty, but overall that should have been better. It's supposed to be like a huge symbolic moment and it looked so fucking bad. I can't. I'm sorry. (laughs) I looked at pictures of the actors and the guy who plays PETA is like really fucking short and now I keep trying to find it in the movies. He must, I like they must do something when they're filming, like put like him on a box or something because he is a whole head shorter than Gail and is so much shorter than Jennifer Lawrence. Like, I was shocked how short he was. And, like, no shade. I'm, like, 5'2". I am short as well. No shade. I was just shocked because you never notice it in the movies. They have to have him on, like, a platform or something. Like, just, like, out of shot. I don't know. Sometimes they do that with men who are, like, short to make them look taller. Fun fact about movies. (laughs) So the movie ends with this really cool fire animation of the Mockingjay catching on fire. Get it? Catching fire. Yeah? Get it? <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. I wonder to know how much of their budget went towards that. Like somebody that was their full job was just to animate that thing. And it, it, they did a good job. A plus. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Final takeaways. I think... The rewatch of this movie was way better than the reread of this movie. And not saying that it's a better movie than a better book. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that the big twist is that they're all in on this plan to escape, except for Katniss and Peeta, and that District 13 is real, and that there's this whole network of people in on it. And this makes the book not as exciting when you know it's coming. Because when you read it the first time, you're like, what's going to happen? But here, you already know what happened. Whereas when you're watching the movie, there's action and the arena looks cool and the costumes are cool. There are just other things like going on. So they know that they have to make it interesting for somebody who has already read the books it needs to be just as engaging if you already know that twist so they do a good job of like trying trying to keep you engaged and interested in it um the movies are so similar to the books they did a good job of adapting them the changes that they do make are pretty small and there's when they do it it's still really thoughtful And they make sense based on, you know, the fact that this is a film and not a book. But it's still true that, um, like, the things they do are still true to the characters and the world building, which is not always a given. Some of the stuff that happened in, like, the Harry Potter um, adapted films, like, just didn't fucking make sense. Like, why... (sighs) I will never forgive them for spending, like, precious, precious screen time on, like, burning down the burrow because it doesn't make any fucking sense. There was, it was, there was no point. There was no point to it and, like, 
it didn't make sense because the burrow was there again in other movies, like afterwards. If you didn't read the books, you'd be like, why the fuck did they burn that building down? Um, and then why is it back again? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Stop doing that. <laughs> like if you're going to make changes, it has to make sense. It absolutely has to. Okay. <laughs> That's, I'm sorry. Rant. Rant over. Um, this movie was too long. It was too long. I'm sorry. Uh, we don't need movies that are over two hours. Okay. Two hours is already a long movie. Two hours is already too long. This was two hours and 20 minutes. That is far too long. I can't even handle a two hour movie. So, so when you start going over that, it's just too fucking long. Give me an hour and a half. <laughs> Maybe two hours if it's like a longer movie. But two hours is the longest it can possibly be. When you go over two hours, you are crushing my soul. <laughs> I can't handle it. I can't. I was literally like when I started putting the movie on and I saw that it was over two hours, I was like, oh. No, no. It's the same thing with like, uh, my partner and I, Brownie. We just started watching Mockingjay, um, right before we'd done this. But then he had to go and do something else, so I decided to record the episode on Catching Fire. And let me tell you, I forgot that that movie was broken into two parts, and I was crushed. Like I was literally like. I have to watch two two-hour movies <laughs> on this one book? Are you kidding me? I'll talk more about my feelings on these, like, part one and part two of, like, final books from, like, these franchise trilogy saga things. I'll talk more about that later. and We won't get into it, but just know that I was, <laughs> I was crushed. It crushed my soul. Okay. I think that that's all I have to say. Overall, this book was like a B plus. It's really well written. It's really good, but it is filler. I almost wonder if this book was like not meant to be there. I almost wonder if this was like a two book situation where the editors and the production house were like, uh, can you write us another book to go in between them? Because you know, the the YA world loves extra books. Like, that's what happened with Twilight, I heard. You know, they, she, Stephanie Meyer had written the first book and the last book, and then they were like, can you put two more books in between? But you can feel, when you know that about Twilight, you feel it. You feel that those t two books in the middle, like, nothing happens. Like, if you followed my entire... <laughs> foray back into the Twilight movies. If you listen to those episodes, you know that the third Twilight movie is a black hole. I don't remember what happened in it to this day. I don't know. Probably because nothing happens in it. <laughs> That's all. Um, so I don't think this is quite as bad. I think that this still is a good standalone book. I think that this book... Um, when you read it the first time is exciting. I just don't think that it was 
you know, I, I they could have. No, I don't think they could have put this into like the last book. It it doesn't make sense for that to be all in one book. The pacing would have been really off. No matter what they did, this was the pacing was going to be a little bit weird. I think, especially if you wanted to put them back into the arena and have all of that stuff, because that couldn't fit into that last book. So I get why they made this its own book. I get why it exists like this, but yeah, it's not it's not as fun on reread. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's all I've got for you guys. Um, You will be hearing another episode in two weeks, so get really excited. Mark it down in your calendars. No, don't do that. That was stupid. I don't know why I said that. Anyways, okay. Be sure to check us out on Cauldron Cakes and Wine or CC and Wine on all social media. We have Twitter, TikTok, Tumblr, and Instagram. The clock, the bird, the big T and the gram. We got them all. Um, we don't use Twitter. <laughs> Sorry. If you tweet us, we won't tweet back. <laughs> I always used to say in the early days of this podcast, whenever I did the like whole spiel, I would always be like, if you tweet us, we will tweet back. Well, no, we won't. Um, send us an email if you have any thoughts or feelings. Um, you can email us at cauldroncakesandwine.com. Uh, mm, nope. Cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com. Cauldroncakesandwine.com is our website. Anyways, that's all I got for you. Have a good night. Hope you enjoyed the new microphone.